This is One in 36, a presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. One in 36 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And I am here today with wonderful person all around, Anderson parent, uh, former trustee, um, supporter, founder of Anderson Family Partners, and many other titles I could give you, Susan Angelis. Thanks, Eliza. Happy to be here and honored <laughs> and so thankful to you and your team for making this happen. Oh, it's our pleasure. Um, I get to interview all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life, whether they're Anderson friends, family members, um, or even people from, uh, I've been interviewing uh, ACI scholars recently from all over the world. I noticed that. Learning and- with us, which is really cool. Um, scientists, researchers, authors, advocates, um, it's a really cool way to get to know people, but it's also a great way to bring somebody who I know very well already um, a little bit closer and to get your story out to a broader audience. So, um, Susan, I, I'm not even going to pretend to guess at a number. I would love for you to just take a few minutes and talk about how long um, you have been connected to Anderson and kind of tell us your story, which also touches on your son's story. And, and um, we'll go from there. OK, um, first of all, you mentioned former trustee. Uh, I'm now a trustee for um, Center International. That's so right. I'm still there. We, we don't really let you off the boards. We just move <laughs> <to work out. laughs> You're never so, going to be free of us. Thank you, Susan. Right. And um, this is great because um, I don't know what order I'm going to do this in. It may not be chronological, but... No worries. Um, basically, for many of us, this global pandemic has been a life-changing event. And when I was furloughed from my job in commercial property management, I had plenty of time to do some soul searching and think about what's next for me. So I remembered one uh, Winston Churchill's advice to say, don't let a good crisis go to waste. There so you I, go. I would retire and pursue my passions. And, you know, outside of the physical aches and pains of being old, there are some advantages to being old. And that the big one for me is the sense that things are coming together, that sense of fulfillment that all parts of my life are coming together. And this three different that are the people who are important to me, you know, my children, my family, my good friends, my community at Anderson, and my passions for art and ongoing learning. And the third thing is my search for purpose at this stage in my life. So this is all coming together and it's kind of woven together. And what I'm calling for myself, my purposes as my giving back to Anderson program or project. Mm-hmm. So anyway, in, in short, to summarize, um, and I'll back, back up to that. I became a full-time artist and I built a new website. Um, after the pandemic, and I'm trying, still trying to figure it all out, but I'm donating 5% of my proceeds to Anderson Foundation for Autism. Thank you so much. And we just got our first donation from your first proceeds. And we appreciate that. Was that was the second, Liza. Oh, that was the second. I apologize. I'm no sorry. problem. But that's, yeah. So it's, you know, it's getting there. Yeah. And um, to, as far as my history with Anderson, um, Paul will be turning 39 this year, and he's been with Anderson for a greater part of his life. I think it's been like almost 23 years. Wow. But I still remember that day when we brought him there for the first time, knowing that we would be coming home without him. 
It was mm-hmm. such an emotional day for me. So I cried and cried. But I still don't know if I cried for out of grief or sadness or whether it was a relief or guilt. Or maybe it's all of the above. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the health professionals, they recommended at that time that Paul have 24-7 uh, residential setting and because I, he was having these aggressions, um, fits of aggression, episodes, episodes of, to to uh, a point where he even turned at me and we had to call 911 at that point. But the, the people at the uh, ER said, you know, you really should put him in a residential setting. Um, so that day when we, uh, you know, we went through the search and the intake and all that, but the day that I brought Paul, knowing I wouldn't take him back, he didn't put up a fight. When we got to Anderson, he went straight to his bedroom as if he knew that was his bedroom. He brought his bags there. And somehow, you know, when we dropped him off, I felt such a sense of relief that he, that the people at Anderson knew exactly what, what to do, how to care for him, that they understood him. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in years, that gave me a sense of comfort that the people I left Paul with at Anderson you know, he was in good hands and the rest is history. (laughs) And, you know, with that kind of um, support, I was able to focus a little attention on my other son. And he turned out to be a a really good young man. He's happily married and he loves Paul. He's their good brother. So it's a happy story. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think your story probably resonates with a lot of other parents listening, whether they may have brought their child here or to another residential program just this week or 20 or 30 or 40 or more years ago. Because I I love what you said at the beginning, Susan, about not even now being able to really identify one emotion with all the, um, you know, with the tears um, Mm -hmm. or one feeling. And that's probably because um, my guess is it was a mixture of everything. Yeah. Um, You know, you don't have to sort of be pigeonholed into one feeling one thing. It sounds to me like you must've been feeling everything kind of all at once um, in that moment. But I, I also can visualize Paul walking into that room so confidently um, and imagine, I can imagine what that may have felt like in terms of, you know, wow, he feels comfortable here. And um, so, so thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate it because I, like I said, I know that there are other families listening who either are facing this decision right now. They might be in the process of deciding whether a residential Mm -hmm. placement is appropriate for their loved one and, and, that they're ready to do it. Um, and I don't like to sugarcoat things. I don't think you do either. I remember back no. in the day of, of you being the, um, you know, fundraising chair for Anderson Family Partners. And you'd come to me and say, I don't know how to fundraise. And then we would talk and I'd say, you know exactly how to fundraise because <laughs> you you don't sugarcoat things and you're very sincere and honest and and you're willing to share your story. And that's really what a lot of it comes down to is is connecting with people. Um, who might yeah. have a common appreciation for something that you've, you've experienced. So, um, so I always appreciate that because I think it's, it's, it can't be an, an easy decision by any means, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not the right decision, mm-hmm. you know, when it's all said and done. So tell us about Paul now. That was, he was, he was young back then. He came to our children's campus before it looks the way it does now. And yeah. now where is he? Evergreen is not even there now. <laughs> no, no. Now no, he's no, with no, Fortune no. Valley and he's actually had a, a second move because during the, uh, the pandemic, um, there was a lot of um, people had taken their children out and Anderson had to 
first of all, you know, where he was at Victoria Crossing was the most remote location. Yes. Much as we wanted that to be his permanent home, it was a beautiful house. Mm-hmm. And I really was sad to, to leave that place. But he's actually 45 minutes closer to where we live up, where we have our home upstate. So mm-hmm. it turned out to be a blessing in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. and it was able to consolidate um, his residential manager. He's the best. Mm-hmm. And, I know his challenge is always to recruit people and keep them. And Victoria Crossing being such a remote location was, it was difficult to retain staff. So there was a lot of turnover. So I understand exactly where Anderson was coming from when they made the switch to put, um, Paul and his um, cohorts to another house closer, you know, yeah. closer to it- the river. <laughs> closer to the river, closer, but also, like you said, closer to maybe some other resources in addition to making it a little bit easier to recruit and retain team members. Yeah. But also that house is in a in a pretty setting and it's it's got it some is. you know woods and gardens around it. it but it also is relatively close to Saugerties in Kingston. And um, yeah. so a little bit maybe easier to access some community resources, especially now that COVID doesn't have, you know, so many exactly. restrictions sort of upon yeah. us when it comes to that um so and and has paul made that transition pretty well was i mean yeah he's all settled in well he's going through a rough patch right now which is to be expected um, we're still trying to figure out why because he can't communicate he's unable to talk but um a lot of it is trial and error but uh, i have to say that they're um they're always brainstorming the staff is always brainstorming on what they can do and every time paul comes home for a visit there's always something new that surprises me, like some food that he's eating or that he's just mingling with with everybody at the, you know, the family um, during these holidays. He wants to be there with everyone, kind of dancing along with everyone and singing. Lovely. You know, own way, you know. Yeah, yeah. But he's more social in his own way. He's still kind of like Paul, but but I can see the improvement very, very um you know, incremental improvements, but definitely um, he is, uh, you know, able to write when he wants to communicate. I'll give him, you know, when he's frustrated, I'll give him a piece of paper and he'll write down what he wants. And most mm-hmm. of the time it's always about food. So I was going to say, I think the last time I, I, directly interacted with Paul was with you at an event on campus where the food truck was out, the ice cream truck was out. And, um, and he definitely was in his element hanging out in the sun with you and having, I think an ice cream. And I've seen pictures of, of the two of you having, you know, sitting at a cafe eating mm-hmm. together, but, but also sometimes it's important to, well, often, I think it's important to point out that that's also the way I interact with almost everybody in my life. socially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, autism and, and, you know, vocal uh, language aside, any, you know, any of the challenges, food for many people is the crux of social interaction. So I think Paul's right there in the mix when it comes to that. Yeah, I have to tell um, you, on Mother's Day, um, we, he ordered, he, you know, looked at the menu and right away he pointed to the chicken wings. Mm-hmm. But that was an appetizer. So he was having his meal before everybody else got their main main dish. So by the time we everybody got our main dish, he was done with his appetizer and he wanted my stuff. So <laughs> I had to give him that. At the end, he wrote down, he 
on a piece of paper. He was writing, he wanted something more. I kept pointing to the menu and, you know, pointing at the server. So I said, okay, write down what you want. And he started to write C. And my son was, my other son said, oh, he's going to write chicken again. But no, he wrote down cake. So ah, it was dessert. time for dessert. It was yeah. time for dessert, mom. Come on. <laughs> um, that's a great story and a great way to end the first half of our interview. When we come back, though, we're going to talk with you. I want to talk a little bit more about your personal growth and, and experience and your art and make sure people know how to get to your website and how that's going. Okay. Um, this is 1 in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. And now 1 in 36 continues on 100.7 WH. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm talking with Susan Angelis, who is um, so many things, but overall friend and supporter and uh, and parent of, of Paul, who is an Anderson adult living in one of our uh, adult group homes called Fortune Valley. And Susan, you shared a lot of your story, um, kind of how you got to Anderson and what it was like um, that time that you had to, that you left Paul with us. Um, um, and headed home for the first time without him um, and sort of how far he's come. Um, it's really nice to know that that your other son, uh, Andrew, is um, connected to Paul. And and um, I, I, I think most siblings have had both some big highs and some big lows when they're growing up as a sibling to somebody really profoundly uh, affected by autism. Um, I would think that Andrew's probably no different. But um, any insight for a parent maybe of, of two or three younger children um, now that your children are grown looking back that you think would, would resonate with a family who's maybe in that struggle right now? Well, I know that when Andrew was growing up, it was um, Andrew's five years younger than Paul. So at that time he was five years old when I was still giving all the attention to Paul. Mm -hmm. Um, So that really called for support for me to help me, you know, give a lot less focus on just one sibling and mm-hmm. kind of even it out. But so when with Anderson, I was able to give more time to Andrew. And I think that was key. Yeah. And, yes. And uh, as far as tips, <laughs> I guess just kind of let them understand, have them get involved with Anderson. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Because then they know, um, they understand that it's any kind of, we're not, it's not that we're not giving them attention. It's just that this is such a, an emergency or an urgent thing, or, you know, it just needs our attention at that time. Right. And Andrew knew that it's not that I didn't love him or didn't care about him. It's just that I have this thing to, to deal with and right. getting him involved in that dealing with managing Paul, I think gave him a sense of ownership and. Um, that's a, th- I think that's a, a really great point, Susan, that as parents, regardless of whether you're raising a child, um, you know, with, with, a, you know, additional challenges or not, once you have more than one, you know, you can, you can very easily and naturally err on the side of, you know, this is my, you know, what I have to do for this child. This is what I have to do for this child and sort of they're separate. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you consciously came to the realization that you needed to open that door so that Andrew was a part of Paul's life. Right. Um, 
as opposed to you feeling like maybe you needed to provide Andrew with his own experience and Paul with his own experience, you kind of let them permeate each other's lives. Yeah. And, and I would assume that that um, might be scary and daunting, but, um, yeah. but a risk worth taking when you're, when you're in that position. So yeah. if I, if I can summarize your thoughts a little bit there, I think um, that would be a good thing for other families to hear. Right. Yes. And uh, he got to the point where he was no longer um, sort of embarrassed that his brother does these strange things but he kind of took it as hey this is our family no yeah <laughs> there you go yeah that's definitely good um all right well let's talk about you for a minute susan so can you tell us a little bit about your um your art uh and maybe maybe at least a little bit of the the story of uh expressive outcomes and your role in that program that remains thriving at anderson but but also about your particular um your work and your style and and your inspiration yeah, um, I've had this artist in me ever since I can remember. And in, in my childhood, I used to draw and copy paintings that my parents had on their wall. And um, I also took private lessons and drawing and drawing and painting from a well-known artist, Filipino artist at that time when I was in college. But when I immigrated to the U.S. and had to earn a living and all that, a lot of it was put on hold, especially since I had... Um, a son who had special needs and not to mention I became a single parent so mm-hmm. a lot of my focus really was on taking care of my kids but I still kind of took an interest in art and kept that inspiration going and so one of the ways I did that was to when I saw that um, Anderson was introducing art to their activities within their um, day have I kind of talked to the director and said, you know, um, can I do a project? And uh, what my thinking was to invite some professional artists to the day hab and have them like um, a day of connection. So that's kind of how it started. Um, I invited some artists from New York City to to work with um, the individuals at um, the uh, it was in Victoria. Uh, Violet Avenue. Violet Avenue is the original original day hab. Yep. Right. And so they they worked, they did some collaborative paintings. And next thing you know, we we had these beautiful paintings and we said Let, we have to show these. <laughs> so I that led me to working with another two other parents and one of them, Tandra, you know, yes. was connected with an art gallery. So we organized these um expressive outcomes um art shows in Manhattan. And um, that became an annual thing at that point. And I think to this day, the program still goes on. I mean, they still- Expressive Outcomes is, it is alive and well. The art shows in New York City, that that changed slightly, but we have offers now and interest in doing art shows locally by multiple partners now. We've learned of Expressive Outcomes. Um, So, and that continues to grow. But I know that you planted the seed, you and your artist friends back then planted a seed that's continued both in terms of, they still make collaborative pieces where all the artists or as many who want to participate in one sort of large scale project, but also I think it really lit a fire for both staff and the artists themselves to recognize that they can create whatever they want to create as individual artists. And so that that idea you had and that, you know, the bringing up of, of some of your friends from the city um, really has had a lasting, lasting impact. So thank you for that. Um, tell us about... Um, your website, actually, let's let's give you the name of the website is. 
It's SusanAngelusArt.com. So it's my name with art at the end.com. Okay. And we're going to list that in, in when we, when we um, promote this podcast. So that's your website. And what can people find there? Uh, they can find right now there's a selection of my art. They can either purchase originals or they can print, uh, buy prints. And some of, um, there's even some merchandise that can be branded with my art. I mean, mm-hmm. it's limited right now, but I'm, I'm going to, uh, right now my limitation is, um, I have to take high quality res photos of the art to be able to be reproduced. Mm-hmm. And, until the time that I can make sure that it's there, I don't want to be able to have it enlarged in, in, you know, big dimension. But right now it's where it is. I mean, there's plenty there to choose from. <laughs> and what are your, do you, do you find that your inspiration changes or do you have like big, um, sort of umbrella type of things that, that really, inspire you, you know, things like, you know, generally nature or the outdoors or traveling your roots in the Philippines family. Like, is there something that you would point to and say, this really kind of gets me, gets me going? Um, Actually, it's uh, the process of exploration inspires mm -hmm. me, Mm self-discovery. So I take art as one of the means by which I communicate. So I try to um, kind of even channel Paul and you know like he can't speak but how can how is it that I can put these images these colors these textures onto a surface to communicate something Mm -hmm. to um, show feelings emotions something um, to express what's within me so there's a the information the the I think the inspiration is very broad but it's all based on um, that spirit of learning and exploration. And it's I like love that. an onion, you know, yeah. I go deep and I discover, oh, this is, you know, so that's why my work is varied. I started out with representational and I'm exploring abstract and a lot of textures that's inspired by the sensory play. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it's, I think it's a reflection of me. It's like really an artifact of my life. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I've read about a couple of your pieces, um, you know, just going on your website and exploring and, and, and just over the years, you know, talking with you also, there are times when you'll come back to a piece that maybe uh-huh. was never kind of finished in your mind, but you haven't yeah. worked with in a while. And maybe there's a new piece of fabric that caught your eye or a piece right. of metal or a color that you want to introduce. And suddenly it like kind of comes back to life for you. Right. Yes. yes. So you do at least do some layering where I mean, a lot of layers and in the that art, art, artifact thing is kind of interesting. Yeah. Like really there's a lot of, layers <laughs> there is a lot of history in each painting. Yeah. So every mark I make is an expression of what's inside of me. That's great. It could be buried. Yeah. It's my life has been, you know, it's peeling this onion of uh, a lot of my life I've had to put on hold. So in peeling this onion, I'm discovering this part of me that I'm, I'm actually, that's always been there, but I'm mm-hmm. just discovering. I love that. And it, and I just want to say, cause we're pretty much out of time. Yeah. The other thing that you're doing is you're raising money for Anderson Foundation through the sales on your website of your art. Um, and this is just a, a shout out regarding something I know that you care about and have attended and participated in many times um, over these third party fundraisers. And the the beauty of of the third party fundraiser for me um, is is really not 
you know, the, the raising of funds, although that's very important and it's a huge part of my job at Anderson. But what I think is beautiful about it is that as a way to marry who you are as an individual person and what your passion or um, enthusiasm is about with an, supporting an organization that you care about. So it can be for you in this case, the sales of your art that you love and that you've prioritized at this point in your life as your main sort of thing that you do and your creation combined with your love for Paul and your appreciation for Anderson. And um, I just want to highlight that because anybody listening, you can do the same thing as if you just kind of put together some of the things that are most important in your life. And um, so thank you, Susan, for everything. Thank you so much for summarizing it so nicely. <laughs> I mean, in fact, one of my roomie quotes this is all based on my gratitude for everything that's happened with for anderson and rumi said wear gratitude like a cloak and it will feed every corner of your life so after almost 68 years i have evidence that this is true i've got so many people to thank for where i am right now you know in fact this is kind of like uh winning an oscar and having to thank people (laughs) best director of my life type thing so that's awesome um, i love that quote that's beautiful that's perfect. Yeah. I'm going to apply that in my life as well. Um, yeah. And there's one organization that I really have to thank for where I am today. And that is Anderson. So I just want to thank everybody. I want, in, in fact, everybody at Anderson, I want to thank Ryan for and his staff for giving me that, being having me be able to sleep at night, knowing that he mm-hmm. falls in good hands for Leanne. Thanks to Leanne for making lifelong learning um a real thing. I mean, it's proven that it it's possible. And thanks to you and your team. Thanks to Patrick Paul for his leadership and the executive committee. Thanks for everyone like in um, Dale and, and Sean Mackey and <laughs> everybody at Anderson. Everybody. And all the boards and the board members. And, the boards, yeah. you've, you've and not to mention to know, the parents. Families. Yeah, parents. Parents that I've Anderson become close to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've become really good friends with some of the parents. Well, you, Susan, and your cohorts in that family group have really, I can tell you that that's going strong now too. Um, thanks to the input and energy and, and, um, dedication that you, um, started in terms of family engagement. It's been heard and it's being, the torch is being carried now by families of children who are, um, who are, you know, teenagers and, and younger, uh, joining yeah. Anderson's, Anderson's community. So, um, we have to wrap up, but I just want to, you know, the thank yous could go on and on. Obviously we're exactly. both full of gratitude, it's ringing but, now. Uh, but it's Isabel. really been a pleasure talking to you. And I look forward to the next time I get to see you in person, Susan. Thank you. This is Susan Angelis, um, parent extraordinaire. And, uh, please visit her website, which is susanangelisart.com. Yes. Um, and check out what's up there right now. Remember that a pro- portion of the proceeds does come to Anderson Foundation. This is 1 in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to 1 in 36, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. Join them for another edition of the show at this time next weekend. 